Hey moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kid's try? Is your current idea of self-care closing the door when you pee? If the only chance you have for exercise is the squats you do when you pick up your kid's Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne. And I'm Jess. And this is Mama Mama Bites. Mamas, I hope you enjoy this interview that I did with Lauren Smith Brody. She is the author of the book, The Fifth Trimester. You might have seen it bright yellow on the shelves. Um, the Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby uh, focuses on just like it sounds like that time where actually a lot of women are having to return to work as their maternity leave ends. She's also the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement, uh, and that actually helps businesses and uh, new parents work together to create a more family-friendly workplace culture. What an idea. Um, And she's also been an editor, executive editor, excuse me, for Glamour Magazine, and um, she is also the mother of two sons. So this was a a great uh, conversation and uh, I really hope that you find it informative and helpful and fun to listen to. So thank you, Lauren, for joining us on, or me rather, on the Mama Bites uh, podcast. It's very exciting to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to write The Fifth Trimester? Sure. So my um, my career really, um, the whole first span of it, my whole kind of 1.0 career was as a magazine editor. Um, I spent the bulk of my 16 years in um, magazine publishing at Glamour. I was there for 13 years. And when I started there, I had a boyfriend who, you know, every other weekend I would go and see and every other weekend he'd come to me. We lived, we lived far apart. And by the time I left, I had two sons um, with that man. And so I kind of went through all of these life phases. Um, in the middle of moving up um, as fast as I could at my career to try to really establish as much seniority and um, salary and flexibility as I could possibly get before having my kids. Then I had my children and um, had a really hard time coming back to work. Mm. I actually knew even then that I had more um, maternity leave than than most American women. I had Mm. FMLA, so I was able to take a full full at that time, 12 weeks. Um, some of it was paid, some of it was unpaid, but we were able to save up for it. I worked largely with women who were pretty comfortable talking about a lot of the, the physical challenges of pregnancy. Mm. Um, and so I kind of thought I had everything working for me. I had a supportive husband, really supportive parents who had just retired and could come to town if I needed them to help. Mm. Um, and yet still, I really, really struggled with the identity shift mm-hmm. and also just with the lack of resources. Mm. When I was pregnant, there was like a book for everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, was, like, there were just 12,000 sleep books and potty training books and everything I kind of knew to, to anticipate, but there was nothing about that return to work after baby. Nope. And one parenting book that did help me um, with my first son, who was a sort of fuzzy baby, was um, Harvey Karp's uh, The Happiest Baby on the Block, mm-hmm. which introduced me to the idea of the fourth trimester, which is, you know, the idea of soothing a newborn baby to make them feel like they're still in the womb because they don't really wake up to the world until they're about 12 weeks old. Mm-hmm. And I remember that that really did work for me. But I also remember just sort of being struck by the irony of that 12-week mark right. because that was also I knew when I'd be going back to work. Mm-hmm. And Anyway, I did go back, um, and I had to go back. I didn't really struggle with a lot of guilt because my husband was in his medical training, and we needed my income very much so. I had invested a lot in my career, and I hated leaving my baby, and I wasn't ready to yet physically Mm -hmm. or emotionally, and yet I needed to be there. Mm -hmm. So I muddled through, and I did it from a position of um, executive leadership, not top, top executive, but like kind of, you know, upper middle management, Mm -hmm. which gave me... um, probably a little more license to be more open about the challenges of parenthood than perhaps some of my colleagues might have been or other women might might be coming back to work. And what I found sort of counterintuitively is that the more open I was, the more I started to get out of my job. And I and I found that this was going to be a new a new phase for me in what brought me satisfaction in my career was actually mentoring other women mm-hmm. about 
getting comfortable with their parenthood in the workplace and advocating for what they needed. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward another kid, another few years, and um, I had really begun to think of that return to work time as a fifth trimester, another, you know, finite transition, only this one's for mom. And I did some research and discovered that, you know, indeed, I, I did have it a lot better off than most American women and that there, you know, 25% of American women take um, less than two weeks of maternity leave when they have a baby because they can't afford to do otherwise and um, started sort of synthesizing some of this data and realized that I actually wanted to write a book and I wanted to look beyond my own experience. And so I surveyed um, and interviewed more than 800 American moms um, mm. about that time coming back to work after baby. And these were hourly wage workers, adoptive moms, single moms, um, you know, women who were highly educated, um, women who worked at Fortune 500 companies, women who did shift work, really all over the place, as many approaches to career and motherhood as I could find mm. and survey. And I was able to really start connecting the dots on what we had in common working for us and against us and the lessons that we could learn from each other about this return. And that became the skeleton for um, the book that I then spent almost a year writing. And then since then, um, the fifth trimester has turned into a business as well. So the mm. book is out there sort of doing its job. Mm -hmm. for um, for the moms who need it as a resource, I hope. Um, and I do sort of the same on social media that, you know, I consider that almost my pro bono work to put resources out there for new moms who need it in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also have started to scale that work. I now go into companies and I help them make better policies and better culture around new parenthood by helping prove to them the value of keeping women in the pipeline to leadership. So there's all this data that shows that women are so valuable um, in terms, just financially valuable to companies if you can get them into leadership roles mm. and that they'll make a real difference financially for your company in terms of profitability. But of course, in order to get those women in leadership, you have to support them through the time when they're most likely to leave, which is right after having a baby. Mm. And so that's where I am now. Wow. <laughs> Change in the world. That's all. That's but so needed and so remarkable. Um, and, and I, and I so appreciate how many different arenas you went to, to really create this pretty exhaustive poll. I mean, um, that's eight, I mean, really 800 different lives, right? <laughs> when you, yeah. Um, that was really that was really important to me because I, I you know I mean like like everybody I knew I had privilege but I didn't really realize to what degree sure. and all I knew is that you know two weeks out I was sitting on my couch you know with scabs on my nipples and like still sitting on a rolled up towel because you know everything everything was still stitched up and hurting and not healing yet yeah. and you know and a crying baby and I felt like it was you know the end times and yet also supposed <laughs> to be the happiest I've ever been in my life right but the more research I did, the more clear it became that actually, you know, it was so much more challenging and so much less supported for other women out there. And I yeah. needed to make sure that as many, you know, as many approaches as I could find were represented. And yeah. um, it's amazing how much we can all learn from each other. Oh, my goodness. For sure. Absolutely. What What were some of the most important or, or your favorite insights that you got from the poll? I mean, you, you keep going back to the poll in the book, and, and I just... Yeah. It's pretty remarkable the things that you learned. What are what are some of the things that stand out to you? Well, what really stood out to me was that there's really there's a dearth of research around the twelve week mark, and I've since learned. And this is you know I feel like every few months as I've been doing this work, I, I have some like amazing like bit of research that's uncovered that that like just really helps shape my thinking and approach. And something that I've that I've um, come across recently is that I couldn't quite figure out why twelve weeks felt so not ready, you know, and I knew mm -hmm. that there was a lot of research around the six month mark. If you have six months of paid parental leave, it is most, that's, that's kind of the minimum you need to be protective of mom's mental health, mom's physical health, baby's mm -hmm. physical health, dad's bond of baby, like all of that is, you know, pretty well established. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure out, you know, why 12 weeks was so normalized in our society. And of course, it's because of FMLA. Mm -hmm. And because of that is the number of weeks that are of, of protected, um, that your job is protected mm -hmm. if you know although the pay is not paid right um and that what i've recently discovered is that actually fmla was passed after nine years of negotiating that passed in 1993 but when it had first been proposed before it was sort of boiled down to this compromise it was meant to be 26 paid weeks <laughs> so <laughs> yeah exactly which is a really like 
a, a, a really convincing, logical yeah. number. Yeah. That's what the research shows yes. you need, right? Yes. So it was really, really striking to me to understand that there was a reason why it was so hard at 12 weeks and to help sort of unravel this, this normalization that we have that, like, you should be grateful if you even get 12 weeks mm-hmm. um, and that you should be ready to go back. Yeah. When when many, many people are not, right? No, of right. course not. And, and, and it makes, you know, and, and we have all this sort of, you know, there's mom guilt and you feel so conflicted and, like, everything's so hard. And, mm-hmm. well, yeah, yeah, like, of course it is. Yes. <laughs> of course you feel conflicted. You shouldn't feel guilty. You're doing nothing wrong. Right. But, you know, if it feels hard, just very good. There's very good reason why. Like, right. you're not physically ready, right. probably. I mean, right. my, my whole goal is to let, you know, parents decide when they are ready within you know the structure of a lot of support so if you feel like going back after a week like bless you go ahead right right you know Mm -hmm. I think you need the option and the agency to be able to you know be home and bond with your baby and heal right and and creating those options helps I think people really decide when they're ready versus what they're bumping up against with the structure yes of course yeah I um sort of particular into um sort of what you're saying about like of course it's hard I my my very favorite quote in the whole book is um when you say think of this time as a much faster adolescence which yeah, yeah. I come back to over and over I mean my babies aren't our babies really yeah. um and yet that that's it that's it and I just would love for if you could say a little more about what you meant by Sure. I mean, I think I kind of am remembering that that quote was in the one of the chapters on like skincare. <laughs> I think it was actually, you know, it was initially um, about the fact that, you know, you might have, you know, acne during pregnancy or after pregnancy, you know, similar to the way you did during, um, you know, during your teenage years. And there's a reason for that. There's obviously, you know, huge hormonal shifts, but it's also just this incredible identity shift that, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to prescribe, you know, that identity upon anyone. Like it is, it is however you feel about it. Mm -hmm. But for many, many, many women, um, particularly those who least expect it, um, like myself, like it really is pretty, pretty ground shifting. Mm -hmm. Um, your priorities change, you know, I, I felt like, you know, every career decision I made was no longer about, my achieving or doing great work Mm -hmm. or being Mm -hmm. ambitious or making good on my education and my parents' investment in me and all of those things. It was all those things, but also suddenly it was, but I'm also working to be able to provide for my child. And so, and I'm also working to be able to do work that gives me enough meaning that I feel okay about it, you know, and okay about being away from my child. So it just that, that, there was a there's an expert I quoted in the book who said something like I'm going to paraphrase but she said something like you know you may be an expert at your job but when you come back to work after baby it is your first day on the job as a new working mom and yes. that is that is you know a major major identity shift that happens that you do grow into yes. right like yes. yes just like when you have your growth spurt you know or you suddenly get boobs <laughs> like <laughs> you do eventually get comfortable and grow into them and even find you know that you might like how you, the way you ended up right. and um, and I've certainly felt that way about motherhood. Yeah, that's so funny because I was um, I was just paging back through the book to sort of like make sure I, I hit on the spots that were my favorite. And I actually just re-underlined that exact quote that you just quoted from um, really? Sarah Best, oh, wow. the therapist. Yeah, yeah. she said, um, yeah. I may be a pro at my job, but I'm ap- an absolute beginner at a wor- being a working mom. Yeah. And I, I just loved that so much because I I do something that I see a lot as a therapist and also experience uh, myself as well is yeah. how little space we give ourselves to fumble with something and try to figure yeah. it out and, and have some of that struggle um, that is like the planet of of adolescence, right? It feels right, so right. awful because we're constantly fumbling well, and struggling and awkward and et cetera, but we give ourselves have, no space. And if you have a, you know, if you have a nice supported childhood, you know, if you're fortunate enough for that, like hopefully when you're going through your adolescence, you have like a roof over your head and somebody who is, you know, like right. 
providing you the bowl of cereal in the morning that you need. Right. <laughs> Holding everything else, right. Mm-hmm. All that support for you. And yet, you know, when you go through this major transition into parenthood, you're also charged with doing all of that for yourself right. or figuring out how to ask for the support and help you need in the context of a society that doesn't support you to the degree that other societies do around the world. Oh, right. Yes, exactly. I think you're, you're beautifully um, sort of re-underlining for me the, you know, the way in which the book really talks about like that headspace of, yeah, a new mom, but, you know, like just being a mom too. I feel like a lot of the time with yeah. the mommy guilt and, and postpartum mood oh, disorders yeah. and perfectionism and, you know, especially your story of um, postpartum depression was really just really easy to connect with um, for me oh, in terms of you. talking about, I, I just, I thought it was so beautifully written about like, and, and this was a time I didn't ask for help and I needed, and this was a time I didn't ask for uh-huh. help and I needed, and this was a time <laughs> yeah. I didn't ask for help and needed. Yeah. And what do you think it is um, for you as, as an observer who's like fully ensconced in this as a business now too, yeah. what do you think it gets, gets in the way of women asking for help when they need? And, and did you feel any more equipped when it was your second time um, when you yeah. had your second child? So, yes. Yeah. So just to answer the, the, the uh, latter part of your question first. Yeah. Mm. So I actually spent my, my second pregnancy very, very, very worried that I was going to have postpartum anxiety again. And of mm. course, like, you know, ang- worrying about something does make you anxious. Right. Um, so, so I got, I did not have um, really any intervention with my first son because it was all new to me. And I didn't really know if it was more than the baby blues. But, you know, after having had a lot more friends who had babies, I realized that indeed I, I had had anxiety. Yeah. So the second time around, I did see um, a therapist um, just at the end of my pregnancy with plans to see her through, you know, the first several weeks of Teddy's birth after Teddy's birth and it was just a night and day experience mm-hmm. and some of it I think was knowing that I was in a position to actually seek out that help for myself mm-hmm. that felt like wow I must really have my act together if I can know that I'm going to like preventatively start seeing somebody mm-hmm. but also I think some of it is really just a different you know what I don't know what causes it I don't know you know if I just had a different you know cocktail of hormones that right, time right. or you know I had more support in my life so we did have a caregiver for my older son who was a wonderful warm affectionate face for me to see every day and to feel supported by mm-hmm. um you know my husband was certainly just so much more aware of what it took to help you know be a partner there's so many factors but the second time around I felt like actually the joy that everybody said you should feel and that's not to say I didn't have you know moments of real happiness obviously the first time around um but I I loved my baby so 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 much but Mm -hmm. I just didn't like the person I saw in the mirror and I didn't love I I thought that I was totally a natural born mom wanted to be a mom my whole life Mm. and you know oldest of four kids babysat you know all through my teenage years loved babies and yet so I was just really so startled by the fact that I didn't enjoy early motherhood more and that made me so upset with myself so anyway I don't even remember the first part of your question the second part was the second time around it was so much better so tell me tell me again what you asked initially sure yeah sorry um (laughs) too excited about too many things to ask um (laughs) (laughs) wound up and emotional um what what do you feel uh gets in the way of women asking for help when they need it oh sure So I do think that we have these enormous and and largely useful um, expectations of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that we should be achieving everything we want in the workplace, and we now have the agency to demand a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have you know we have so much available to us. Women are are more educated, more employed, better employed, more ambitious than we ever have been before. So you know, when that startling sort of like first day of new working motherhood happens is that much more of a shock Mm. um and then you know historically still we are dramatically underpaid in the workplace that's particularly true for underrepresented minority women who have a double burden of being both a woman and being you know a minority Mm -hmm. and so you know we are told historically that and deeply embedded in our culture is this idea that we are not as valued as men in the workplace Mm. and 
you know, that is that is not just a figment of our imaginations. It actually no. shows up in our paychecks. Right. And, you know, even when you look at, you know, the amount of um, parental leave that men take versus what women take, I mean, what that says is, like, dads are paid more, and so they feel like their work, work is more needed in the workplace than at home, and so they go right. back sooner, of course. And mm-hmm. anyway, all of these things add up to this feeling we have that, like, maybe we shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're not as valued. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it is really, really hard to ask for the things you need in the context of already being undervalued. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> um, the, it's interesting. I was thinking about... Um, you know, here here's a situation where we're not we're not as valued, and yet um, it, in the workplace, and and yet there's a theme throughout the book that I I really saw emerge as I was reading and really liked was um, the importance of boundaries over and yeah. over and over, and um, how do we balance that? How do we ask for and set those boundaries with our employers and then, you know, um, in other parts, but we'll pause on that question for a second. (laughs) But yeah, it's really important to internalize the ways that, that you are extremely valuable when you are doing your work, right? Like you are moms, you know, you can come back to work and naturally, you know, because you have not perhaps had as much time as you need, you may, you may feel weak, but actually, you know, the reality is that moms are more efficient. They are better at giving really, um, really meaningful yeses when they say yes to something, not just better at saying no to things. You know, they have a hard stop to their day, but they get more done because mm-hmm. they're able to do, um, to, they take less transition time between tasks than they used to before. There's all of this, like, proven, you know, mothers are, are better leaders. They are better, um, managers they are better team better at team building this is all actually shown in research so if Mm. you can internalize some of that that can really really help you get through the transition and understand you know your value and help you really advocate for the things for the things that you you need to ask for even though they're hard to ask for it can also be really helpful to think beyond your own um your own experience and your own needs it is very often the first time that a lot of women really have to need to negotiate for anything in the mm-hmm, workplace. Mm-hmm. It is, um, it's right when they have a kid and that's unfortunate mm-hmm. because suddenly it feels so much more loaded. You know, every dollar you're making counts more and every hour that you have to spend in the workplace is, you know, pulling you away. Mm-hmm. And so if you can, if you can really, um, understand your value and understand why you're making those decisions and feel like what you're bringing counts, that can be really, really helpful too. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. I, um, I really love the way you've, um, taken the approach in the book. Uh, I, I feel like you really walk that and, and tell us the story in the book of sort of, um, setting the model of going to the employer and saying like, um, I'm going to make this offer <laughs> versus yeah. I'm going to ask yeah. for this thing, right? Yes, yes, yeah. I learned, I mean, over the course of my, my interviewing and research, I learned to stop using the word accommodations. Mm. And if you tell somebody that you want to be accommodated, it sounds like, you know, they're bending over backwards for you and they're making an exception for you. And that just leads straight to bias, you right, know, and right, right. they're not, they're right. not accommodating you. You are suggesting a plan that will make this work for everybody and perhaps even be more beneficial to your employer than than the situation you had before and you're thinking okay well really like asking to work a day at home is going to do that and yeah i mean the plan proposed should include the fact that you're going to have child care like let's let's just totally put to bed the idea that you know you're going to work from home and have a baby like sitting on your lap the whole time like that doesn't do anybody any good um you know but you you know you need you need to show how you're going to deliver your deliverables and you actually might be better at delivering those deliverables if you don't have commute time right right right. if you're able to you know to multitask because you're at home too um so so make that case and Mm -hmm. and arm the person who you're going to with whatever information and research and sort of context of like what other companies offer you know in your Mm -hmm. region or in your industry um so that that person can then go to their boss because they probably have somebody above them too who of they course, need to answer yeah. to and mm-hmm. they want to give you what you want mm-hmm. but they they need to be able to do that in an informed way yeah yeah absolutely that's i'm ready yeah <laughs> i'm my boss <laughs> but i'm ready 
<laughs> and well, my best and I don't need. So that is that's the one chapter I added to the book that was not um that was not initially in my proposal to my to my agent and editor is is the one about working for yourself yeah. because that's the thing I really didn't know and mm-hmm. I hadn't done yet mm-hmm. at the point that I was starting to write the book and mm-hmm. now it is what I do and I've, I've been in, you know working for myself now for four years mm-hmm. and it's um the boundaries there are really tricky because you want to be as good of a boss to yourself as you would demand to have in any other workplace or, you know, hope to have in any other workplace. And yet, you know, I'm taking a week vacation next week and I am like actually going to use, I think my first out of office message in those four years. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always, you know, I take, I have a lot of flexibility in my work, but I'm always like at least a little bit on. Right. And yeah. it's really hard when you are, you know, just chasing clients and paychecks and, you know, making yep. sure you can provide. Yep. Absolutely. To do that. Absolutely. It's, it, it really, you know, something that I say to my clients is they're talking about um, attorney leave and figuring it out is I really, you know, tell people everyone finds their own way a little bit differently. Yeah. And that's okay. That for me, it was a huge privilege to be able to say like, this is the amount of time I'm going to take and I'm not going to get fired for that. Or if I get fired, I have to get fired 35 individuals. Right, right, right. But that also doesn't doesn't mean it wasn't stressful for you to draw those lines. For sure. And that there is, there is zero paid leave, you know, like, Right, you know, right. And, and you're probably worried you're going to lose those clients in sure, that time that you're sure. away. Yeah, and making sure that they're getting good care while exactly. I'm taking yeah. care of myself. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. everybody does it their own way, and 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 that's and that can be really liberating and really challenging at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. I kind of constantly have to remind myself that this is that this is a gift. I'm I'm really like to be totally honest with you. I am very much built to be a like company woman like mm. have a boss have goals mm-hmm. have objectives have mm-hmm. quarters <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's just the way I'm not I'm sort of a risk averse person I love that structure mm-hmm. and yet that is not the um the business that I have put in front of me because instead what I've, I've done this and it, I find it so fulfilling I don't think I'll ever walk away from it mm-hmm. um but it is it's a struggle every day to be a good boss to myself yeah you you look down and and see the net that isn't there. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And then for women in a more in a more traditional, um, you know, corporate or, or workplace structure, you know, they have there is just this, this constant bleed that we have now of personal and work. And I don't even I, this is another one of those sort of like realizations I've had since I wrote the book. I don't really believe in work life balance anymore, even as a term. Like that mm. that flash between the two words is mm-hmm. so silly mm-hmm. because when you at work, you are absolutely going to call the pediatrician, and you should be able to. Mm-hmm. And at the you know by the same token, you should also you know not feel like it is the end of the world if you have to answer an email at ten o'clock at night. Right. You know, right. it shouldn't be a constant, you know, barrage of feeling available. But, you know, in order to do meaningful, fulfilling work in a society where we are all available and working globally in different time zones, like sometimes that's just a reality of it. Yeah. And but nobody's going to draw boundaries except for you. Nobody right. above you is going to be like, you know what? I think you really shouldn't work between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no one's doing that. No. Right. So what, what do you feel like are the ways that moms can help find those important boundaries for themselves and, and hold to them as much as, as much as they can? That's interesting. I mean, I, I sort of, um, another one of the sort of like brain twists I've had over the last couple of years is as my kids have gotten older is realizing that it is not just about being able to be open about your parenthood in the workplace, which is such a huge tenant of, of what I try to, to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as my kids have gotten older, I have found it is actually fine and maybe even good to be a little bit more open about my work at home. Mm. My kids need to understand, like, if I'm interrupted, if I have to take a phone call, if I can't do something with them right now, if I have to say no to going on that field trip, I don't want it to be because of some big bad guy that is mommy's work. Right. I really want them to understand why it is that I do the work that I do and that it is, frankly, such a privilege to be able to do it in a way that's flexible at all. Right. And I don't want them taking that for granted. I also want them to be inspired, you know, to see that, you know, we talk so much about, you know, supporting working moms so that we can support the next generation. And 
that is not, you know, as simple as supporting the next generation, you know, by like allowing that mom to get home and cook macaroni and cheese and read her child a bedtime story. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's the immediate need. Mm -hmm. But when I say supporting the next generation, it's really about modeling for them a life that looks a working life that looks doable and meaningful mm. and is going to let them continue to support our economy and like literally in the next generation. Right. Um, so that, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately as I kind of make, you know, every, every compromise decision I have to make too. Yeah. Wow. And as I draw, as I draw those boundaries, both with my kids, with my employers, um, I find you probably do too. I'm guessing that there are a lot of times when I'm asked to do, you know, volunteer work or just, just some, I'd say like probably 20% of my work working day is spent like introducing somebody to someone or doing someone a favor. And sure. I have really learned to count that as actual work. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just because that is not the thing that is, that is writing me the paycheck in that hour. It's, you know, it still does count sure. um, professionally and because it gives me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah. You are on. If you're on, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah it's working. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't even believe the timing of this conversation as I'm watching my daughter walk into the house on the other <laughs> side <laughs> as I'm recording this. Of course, of That's... course. And mine is, my son just came in with our babysitter from his, from his camp. Um, but he hasn't, he hasn't busted into my bedroom door yet. Yeah. I'm sure he will. <laughs> yeah. So time is holding for both of us, right? Yes. Now. Yes. Um, so I, th- I actually think that this is, um, leading actually well into, um, a real, you know, powerful thing that I think makes moms pick up fifth trimester, which is, um, how much research you did <laughs> on oh. childcare. Oh, it is... Thanks. It is exhaustive. It's amazing. I can't even imagine what it was like to do. Um, but yeah, it seems like you you outlined every possible permutation of child care. I really tried. And so that is like, you know, I, I was at the point that I left my career in magazines, the industry was sort of imploding and I had a lot. Yeah. It, was a, it was an amazing job for a lot of years, but it was also, you know, something that was becoming harder to manage as budgets got smaller and obviously the publishing industry is not what it once was. Mm. And the, but it really helped me to be able, you know, there's that expression about how when you look forward in your career, you can't see what's coming, but looking backward, you can connect the dots perfectly. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that research is something that I had spent my 10,000 hours on at mm. Glamour. And that, the reason that that came naturally to me, and even the writing of the book was actually easy. Like the packaging is something I had, I had done day in and day out sure. for years. Mm-hmm. And so... I was so, so grateful, even though this felt like a totally new venture to have my own thing, my own voice, my own book, for God's sake, you know, it was really drawing on all of the skills that I had spent all of those years developing. Clearly, clearly. It was, it's, I mean, it's remarkable. Well, it, just, it, it was really reassuring to me to feel like I wasn't just walking away from something, but actually I was making good on a lot of that time that mm-hmm. I had invested. Mm-hmm. It felt like such a huge pivot at the time. It was very scary. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, it's amazing. And, and I, I appreciate the way you're saying the 10,000 hours. I, that's exactly the way I was thinking of it. Yeah. What in and in your research, like, what do you feel are the most important elements for um, women or you know caretakers rather, you know, parents mm-hmm. to consider when when they are deciding on childcare? So this was okay. I would be really honest with you. It's it's the first chapter of the book because it is you know the most pressing mm-hmm. decision for a lot of parents mm-hmm. who are going back to work because who's going to watch these kids, right? Yeah. It was actually the last chapter I wrote because I was so uncomfortable, mm, yeah. you know, prescribing yeah. Yeah. what, you know, what on earth was, you know, the right decision for any individual family. And it seems so tied to finances mm-hmm. and access and, you know, and, and frankly, like it was, we had an amazing nanny in our home who we stretched to be able to afford, but it was a complicated relationship at times too. So I had all yeah. kinds of feelings at your therapist. Yeah. I'll say I had all kinds yeah. of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really relieved when I when I started digging into the research. I found um, a huge compendium of studies that had all been put together that was that were meant to look at um, the benefits of um, daycare versus in home care, whether mm-hmm. that care was provided by a parent or by a caregiver in the home, or if you took your kids and took them out outside of the home to daycare and what kind of environment that was. And I was like, you know, combing through 
these studies, like just just with my heart and my throat worried that there was going to be a definitive like, here's what you must do right. to have a healthy, you know, mm-hmm. like child with good language skills and social development. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is when I got to the end of that, and it was, I think it was, um, it was like 15 years worth of studies, hundreds of studies put together. Basically, the upshot was at the very, very, very end was. But all of this is predicated upon the mother's emotional comfort with the childcare decision that she's made. Don't. So basically, you mm-hmm. can put your kid in the most, you know, the fanciest or, you know, the most most accredited everything, daycare, whatever it was. But if you weren't emotionally comfortable with that decision, you weren't going to reap the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge relief yeah. as I started doing my interviewing for that chapter and looking at other research. Because what it showed me was that Yes, of course, there's that long list that you can Google and find online in a million places of like, you know, your location versus what you're paying versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just all of the sort of the logistics around daycare versus, you know, an in-home caregiver. Um, But that the emotional aspects of the decision are just as important. Mm -hmm. So what it said in the book, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's a list of all sort of logistical decisions that you make. And then there's all the questions of like, you know, do you, are you going to feel more comfortable if you have the checks and balances of having structure of a daycare and you get a report at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Are you going to feel more comfortable? Are you comfortable with someone in your home? Do you need somebody to, you know, manage whether or not you guys have enough, you know, paper towels? You know? <laughs> Is the burden of lifting that off of you going to be so beneficial to your marriage that it might actually be worth having an Annie versus daycare? Right. All of these things, you yeah. know, so it becomes a very emotional decision. And when you make it with that, that with that kind of information in hand, um, you can know you're going to be successful. Yeah. Brilliant. It's so brilliant. I love it. It, um, you know, so much of my work as a eating disorder therapist is based on intuitive eating. And, um, I'm actually talking to a sleep specialist, um, in a couple of days and a lot of her, uh, synthesis that all comes down to is, you know, like, let your body tell you whether you're getting enough sleep and and we just I just think you know this is actually um I'm sure a question will come out of this but this is a little bit of me on my soapbox is that we I think especially too is um you know as we're told we're emotional beings as women right Right. like not to trust those feelings that it's all got to be dollars and cents and etc but you know like that's what it keeps coming back to as well like you're your emotional well, emotions, state about it. Emotions make you better at your job, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly my job. <laughs> human, definitely. But, you know, any job, you know, I mean, they make you, they make you a better colleague. They make you someone who is more empathetic to, you know, the person working for and with and above, you know, him or her too. They help you, you know, bring meaning to whatever work you're doing, no matter what kind of work it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe that. Yeah, me too, for sure the choir over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are talking a little bit about my job or, or a little bit already. So um, yeah. let's talk body image because yeah. I, 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 I'm so excited that I get to talk to you about this um, because, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, your return to work <laughs> yeah. seems to me even harder than most of us could imagine, you know, returning to an environment like glamour, um, yeah. where that aspect and, but you seem to reach some peace, um, with your body. Do you want to, I mean, I've been working, I've been working on reaching that peace since I was five. <laughs> <laughs> so you had that head start. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still working on it. I think as many of us are, um, right. but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm never going to make myself taller than I am, right? I'm five, three. And I worked in an industry where we had, you know, a lineup of, of models, you know, waiting to come in and see our model booker every day. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, I felt like pretty quickly, I realized that by being really open and honest and just kind of like who I really am at work, mm-hmm. that, and that could be beneficial. And I was lucky to work in a place where that was a good thing. Um, but yeah, but so the pressures, I mean, I remember, you know, there were, there were a couple of times when I had like a, a mishap with, you know, breast milk mm-hmm. or like just something didn't fit right mm-hmm. or something was see-through that I hadn't worn before because it was the only thing that fit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we had a, like lucky to have a, a fashion closet um, where, you know, there was, there were clothes you can borrow if you were a four. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and there also, there were times, um, one was actually sort of, actually like pretty much postpartum after my second son, where I was given advice about how I had a, I had a pretty senior role for the age I was. And I made, you know, a, a good salary, 
um, I just didn't prioritize spending a ton of it on clothing because I had, we live in New York, there's a lot of other expenses and that's sort of not where my priorities were at that moment. And, um, and I was given some advice, you know, by somebody senior to me to go and buy more expensive clothes. And I was like, look, like, you know, I just, that's not where I'm going to be putting my money right now. You know, I'll I'll Mm. happily take advice about how to look more professional if that's what you think I need. Mm. But, you know, they were like, no, you're actually, you're just fine. Just, you know, maybe (laughs) spend a little more money. It's it's really like I felt very conflicted about the whole thing. Yeah. When I went to write those chapters of the book, I also felt, you know, I entered into this book thinking like this is going to be really – an emotional guide, a guide to negotiating and for flexibility and really work, 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 work. And I was finally going to leave this aspect that I'd always been a little bit uncomfortable with, this yeah. sort of the, just, you know, the beauty and the fashion. I was going to leave that behind. And very quickly it became clear as I did these interviews that that would have been really um, a huge, a huge oversight on my part because that is such a factor. When you're getting ready in the morning and you need to psych yourself up to, you know, like, go do this almost impossibly busy, full, complicated, hopefully meaningful day that, you know, you're going to do a better job if you feel better about yourself. Mm. And as with everything else, I looked at the research and the research pretty much said that's the case. You know, mm. when you like, like, no joke, there's a study that showed that when you feel better about your hair, you project confidence to the world. Like, it's so <laughs> dumb. And yeah, like what that said to me is, you know, I can't ignore that aspect of this. Mm. You know, I have to help these women feel like they can, they can feel good about their hair. And mm. so I, I talked to hairstylists and I talked to dermatologists and I talked to, you know, makeup artists and the people who could help, um, you know, make you feel better about yourself faster, you know, in a, I, yeah, I'll still, I still bristle, the feminist in me bristles at the fact that we have, Sally Krawcheck actually calls it like the makeup tax, you know, that women have to spend so much more time and money on themselves yeah. than, than men do. Yeah. Um, and yet, when we do it, we do feel better. Right, <laughs> so right. You can project that and stay in your career and be confident and bring other women along like I guess it's worth it. Right, right. And maybe we sort of talk about that yeah. as a success ritual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Let's do that. <laughs> versus sort of like, yeah the um obligation yes the beauty and just you know beauty culture you know parts of it you know when i when i was editing you know glamour we would have you know really really important pieces on you know women's rights and healthcare, and then we would also have pages of lipstick and it all counted it Mm -hmm. really does and it should Mm -hmm. i think that um we can balance that with your term um talking about generous minimum too <laughs> oh good oh good I'm glad. you really like this the parts that you liked are like some of my favorite parts too that's great that's they're great. great well it sounds like as I talk to you more it sounds like um so much of the heart of the book comes through you know like and and yeah. I, I think I just sort of like naturally was attracted to those um pieces and you know oh, um plus I'm you know I'm sitting with moms all the time and talking about like you know, old school therapy concepts like the good enough mother and, and introducing yeah. that, you know, yeah. to women um, of even a younger generation of me at this point yeah. now. And and it's still news, right? We're still caught in totally. the perfection idea. And, yep. and you know, like that, until, that therapeutic concept you, is so old. <laughs> until you become a parent, like, you know, most when I talk about, you know, the motherhood penalty, like, guess who's heard the term? (laughs) Nobody else seems to know about it. It's really, really important to me in my work that I make sure that, you know, that men know what that is and that managers, you know, who may or may not have children know what that is and that women who don't have kids yet protect themselves from it, you know, in advance of it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. When your eyes are open to something, suddenly you see it everywhere. Yeah. We call it, I call it seeing the matrix. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, how you define the generous minimum and oh, sure. how women yeah. can use that? Sure. And it was really like for me that became a workaround because I didn't want to say like, here is what your makeup routine must be, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, because who knows, you right. know, for some women that is, you know, putting on, you know, like sunscreen and for other women, like they really don't feel good unless they've curled their eyelashes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so what I sort of came up with was this idea that like do what your minimum is whatever your minimum is for you to feel like you walk out of the house and can like I don't know go to the drugstore and feel like 
reasonable, mm-hmm. but then do one extra thing. And mm-hmm. it can be tiny. It can be putting on a pair of earrings. It could be, you know, like wiping on a lipstick when you normally don't wear lipstick. So do the absolute minimum plus one. Mm-hmm. And that plus one gives you that feeling of being the kind of person who had their act together enough that they could even go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't feel like you're just, you're just, you know, doing the minimum. You're, you're going even beyond, mm-hmm. even in a time when you don't have a lot of support, when you have a lot of pressure. And if you can do that, you can feel really good about yourself. Mm. Do you feel like that, that you can use that sort of same term in terms of like as a mother, as a partner, as an employee? You know, nobody's asked me that. That's Hmm. great. That's, oh, that's tough for me because I'm, I'm such a like chronic (laughs) over-deliverer. Like I always feel like I have to exceed expectations and it bites me in the butt so often. Yeah. Um, So I haven't thought about that. Maybe, you know what I have? Okay. So in terms of, um, date night um which came up you know later later in the book yes um in the surveying there was a a group of of moms who reported that they're um they fought more with their partners than they ever had before in the return Mm -hmm. to work after Mm -hmm. baby but a large subset of that same group also said in a separate question that they got closer to their partner than they ever had before Mm -hmm. and i was like oh this is really interesting and i'm I'm no statistician at all but the the software i use allowed me to, to look at like that subset and figure out what other things they might have in common. These women who both got closer to their partners and also fought more with them at the same time. So productive mm-hmm. fighting, right? Yeah. And, um, and one thing they had in common was date night. And I was like, Oh crap, I cannot write a whole book. Like basically telling women to go have, you know, big date night. Which is great. <laughs> Very helpful. Thanks. You know, <laughs> um, which nothing I loved. I love a date night, but you know, my kids are older now and I'm not like, you know, worried about dipping the thing in my breast milk to make sure the oh. wine hasn't, you know, like yes. made it poison for my baby. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, freaking out about leaving my newborn with a babysitter on a Saturday mm. night when I haven't seen him all week anyway. Anyway. So like, I just didn't want to have to give that advice. And I was so relieved mm-hmm. when in fact the generous minimum was enough. So mm-hmm. when I looked at how much time these women spent alone with their partners each week, the ones who spent five or more hours with their partners alone had, like, you know, very happy partnerships. Fine. Mm-hmm. The ones who spent less than one hour had had troubles, mm-hmm. and really, really struggled. Mm-hmm. But there was virtually no difference between the women who spent one hour a week with their partners and four and a half hours per week. Yeah. And what that and it when they were happy. So what that said was, even if you only have time to sit on the couch and watch a TV show holding hands while the baby is sleeping, mm-hmm. that's enough. Yeah. Once a week, like that, that is protective. Yeah. And so I was so relieved that that generous minimum of you know, dating yourself in quotes, you know, yeah. was enough. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, yeah. Just as much as hiring a babysitter, having a bottle of wine, worrying about it the next morning, you know. For sure. For sure. With maybe, a, maybe less conflict about like yeah you know absolutely. how do which we do that to say, mm-hmm. which is not to say that like i'd also you know highly recommend that you like take a vacation if you can just with your partner right you know right. as soon as you're able to right. um, you know I, I think that that time is so 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 valuable and it's like you know it, it just pays off you know forever to like we take a vacation and i feel like we feel kind of the the float of that for months afterwards right Mm -hmm. um but realistically when you're just going back to work and you're frantic and you know maybe you aren't feeling so supported in every other way it's not the time to tell you that you have to go do this thing probably not (laughs) yeah for sure so um well this is really when i i could talk to you for hours (laughs) i feel like this is really wonderful um, my new uh, favorite question to ask all my interviewees lately is um, if you could meet yourself in your postpartum year or, or oh. whichever that postpartum year would be, maybe that's after your first, after your second, and yeah. offer that version of yourself some sort of comfort advice, what would you want to offer her? Oh, wow. I love that question, and it's um, it's a hard one. There's a lot I would want to say, um, mostly just that every step of the way, it gets more meaningful, all of it. Mm. The work that I've done every year has gotten more meaningful. The, you know, the ages that my kids are, I once pitched a story, I'm still a journalist, I still do a lot of writing, and I once pitched a story to Parents Magazine that they didn't take that was like, blank is the best age, because I feel like... <laughs> Every age my kids have hit is more challenging in its own way. Yeah. But also really great. Yeah. For, you know, even for like preteen awkward crappy reasons sure, is great too. Yeah. It really, you could have, you can talk about such some 
substantial things in a way that's like still, you know, while they still are really listening and in your care. And Mm -hmm. anyway, so it would be that. I think that like it all just gets not necessarily better because I don't actually, I don't believe one thing I've I've tried not to say is I try not to say you're going to be a happier mom. I don't think it's bad. I think it's more satisfying. Mm. I really like that word more. And so every step of the way it has gotten both more challenging and more satisfying. Mm. Wow. That's the quote for the interview. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell our listeners um, where we can find you, what's closest to your heart right now, what's oh, going on. Sure. Gosh. Okay. So I am doing all of this business work, really trying to build and scale the work that I'm doing so that it can affect policies and benefits that will, you know, really support moms so that they don't even have to go asking for a lot of this stuff. Um, so if you know of any businesses that would want to have me come in and talk, um, you know, the easiest way to reach me is through my website or through Instagram. My Instagram is just at the fifth trimester all spelled out. Um, of course the book is available at booksellers everywhere Mm -hmm. and I'm so happy that it's just out there doing its thing in Mm -hmm. pretty yellow jacket. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then my website is the fifth trimester.com again, all spelled out with letters and gives a good overview of, of, there's a lot of free resources there for moms. And then there's a lot of information about the corporate work that I do as well. Um, and looking forward, I am thinking about writing a new book. I have, a lot of um, consulting projects that I'm working on that are all related to motherhood. And I'm really so inspired by this 2020 campaign and all of the, the advocacy work that I see around me. And I'm getting, I'm not by nature a particularly comfortably like political talker, but I'm finding it comes up and comes up and comes up and I'm forcing myself to get comfortable with it because it feels really, really like an important microphone to be able to hold. Yeah. And I want to be able to make a difference if I can. Mm. Well, and it, it seems like it might actually dovetail very much with the work that you're doing already, right? That's that, yeah. you know, I, I, I meant it when I said, you know, really changing the world and, and oh, it gets political. And I love supporting political candidates who have um, young children. There's a pack that I really, really love that's um, fairly new. It's called Vote Mama. Huh. And its entire objective is to funnel money to parents um, who are running for office who have youngish kids. So these are these are the parents who might not otherwise be able to figure out like, hey, how do I like quit my job, do childcare, and then also like work 25 hours a day, you know, running for office. Yeah. And so this supports those those women wow. um, up and down the Democratic ticket. That's awesome. They're wonderful. So yeah. Like, you know. Definitely well, putting in a plug for them. Donate to sure. vote mom. Yeah, that'll that'll be in the show notes for sure. Absolutely. Good. So that's it, moms. That's the last bite for today. But in case you're hungry for more, head on over to the Mama Bites website. That's M-O-M-M-A, Mama Bites website, and stream more of our podcasts. Or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. And don't forget to stop by Instagram and definitely come on by our Facebook group, the Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.